0: Thou, O Lord, are the shield for me. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. I thank you, God, for such a wonderful day. God, for the people of God who Mm. come out to lift their voices and praise to you. We thank you for them. We thank you now that every heart's desire is being fulfilled. Every request is being taken care of and everybody is made whole. God, we thank you for people whose minds are stayed on you. People who live and love according to your principles. And God, we thank you for it. We thank you now, God, even for your word. And we pray that it will be a blessing to your people and it will change hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Have your Bibles this morning. I want you to go with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians, chapter 4. Verse 17 says this This I say, and therefore uh, testify, let me get my pages here, in the Lord that. You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of ignorance uh, that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work on all uncleanliness with greediness but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to talk about putting off and putting on because I don't think we're going to get that far today. But I want to talk to you on this thought. The believer's new lifestyle. The believer's new lifestyle. Amen. You can be seated. The believer's new now, that, uh, that reminds me of when we were in school. They used to have something called compare and contrast. You may remember that. Uh, there are some things that you have to compare that are like, and then you have to contrast the things that are different. And what Paul is doing at this point in time is trying to make a clear case for the difference between the believers and unbelievers, those who are in Christ and those who are not. So he calls the difference between the two, the difference between Christians and Gentiles. Amen. So he says there are three characteristics that should mark Christianity. And we've been talking about this over the last several weeks. One, he says, is unity. The other is maturity. And then he says morality. Now, if you've been watching the news, you know there's a lot to say about morality in the church in the last few days. But one of the things that we know is whenever there's a breach of morality, it's always very visible and everybody knows about it. In other words, it makes the news. The Bible also teaches us that when it comes to maturity, we know that maturity is gradual and it's not always seen. It's a process. Amen. But then he says that uh, when it comes to unity, most of the time unity is only overt when we see people leave the church. In other words, when it comes to uh, uh, dealing with unity, we don't know that people are not united until they decide to separate. Now that's, that was worthy of a lot more amen than that, amen. Think about all your friends that are not here. <laughs> Unless you were one of those people who knew they were going to leave and didn't tell anybody, <laughs> Hallelujah. don't start messing with folks, right? Amen. I'm going to try not to, but I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to do what uh, what folks say. Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> so the Bible also tells us then that when it comes to immorality, usually it's because it's usually so uh, blatant in leadership, appear to be bad, amen. So that's why there's, the Bible says, a radical need for change. In other words, what we have been doing up to this point hasn't worked, so we need to try something different. Now, this is what uh, Paul is telling the church at Ephesus. You have followed the Gentiles in all their ways and it hasn't worked for you. So now you need to change. And he says that there's some things that you need to do. But he says the one reason that we have a problem changing people, and this is a problem for every church in the world. The reason we have a problem changing people is simply because uh, most people, uh, they don't don't understand what we're selling. Y'all don't understand what I'm saying either. They're not, they're not buying what we're selling. And maybe we didn't package it right. Come on, maybe the advertising was bad, but they're not buying it. So he says there's several reasons for this, and I'm going to give you three of them. First, uh, people simply have a lack of perceptiveness. In other words, when it comes to the word of God, people don't receive the word easily because they don't understand it. So a second Uh, reason that people have a hard time receiving the Word is because there is satanic oppression. Whenever there's opposition to the Word, it's difficult for people to embrace it. The Bible says this in uh, 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, it says uh, whose mind the God of this world has blinded. Satan does not want you to receive the Word, so when people try to witness to you, you always have questions And sometimes a person who's witnessing doesn't have the right answer. And the third reason is that somewhere in between these two things, not being able to perceive the word and not being able to receive the word, there's a third thing. And the Bible says it is the hardened state of mind of the believer. Sometimes the believer's heart is so hard that the word cannot penetrate it. Somebody said, well, God can do anything. Did you hear about Pharaoh and Moses? So the heart can be hardened so that you can't even receive from God. Amen. So even though this may be a direct work of Satan, the Bible doesn't say that here. It just says that these are the things that, that make for difficulty in ministering the word. So he goes on to say this, and and, and here's where we start to contrast. Paul says that the believer's walk should be different than that of the Gentiles. So when he uses the word walk, what he's actually talking about is your lifestyle. Your lifestyle should be distinctively different than that of the people that you are associated with. Uh The Bible says the Christian is not to imitate the life of unsaved people. And this is a problem for even the church that so many people who follow people who are unsaved. They're good people, nice people. <laughs> now I'm hearing the president in my head. <laughs> good people, some of them. <laughs> but, uh, but they're not saved people. And because they're not saved people, you cannot follow them. And let me tell you this, even if they are saved, you cannot follow an immature saint. Amen. Amen. Now, what does that mean? Listen to me very carefully. If the saint has a lot of problems, that means they're immature. Let me try it again. If the saint has a lot of problems, it means that that saint is immature. Doesn't mean they're not saved, but they're immature because they, they have not yet matured to the place where their decision making is right. Okay, you all kind of quiet on me. So when he says that that, that your walk should be comparable to what he says in the, the first verse of chapter 4, he says this. Look at what he says in, in 4.1. He says that you walk worthy of your calling. So as it, there is a process of time where you learn how to walk according to what you were called to do. Now, I guess what I'm about to say is a little difficult sometimes to process too, because when you start to talk about walking according to what you were called to do, you understand that sometimes you never find what you were called to do because you are out of place with purpose. (laughs) Now, you understand what I'm saying to you. Purpose is only found in the church. So if you're out of place in church, you're out of place with your purpose, and you never discover it. Now, you may be good at some things, watch this, and you may be successful in some things. But you may not be successful in your calling. You might be the best lawyer and still be the worst Christian. Let me me move on. All right, the Lord has something to say. (laughs) So what he's saying is Paul begins to now give us some real differences between saved and unsaved. And we need to know that there is a difference. Now, let me tell you this, that the church still has saved and unsaved people. So we can't say just because, you know, so-and-so's in, in church, you know how we like to say that. Well, pastor, they in church. Now I hear this mostly from young women that are trying to marry somebody. I said, is he saved? They say, well, Pastor, he in church. And you know what? That one day he walked by a church and it was raining, so he stepped in the side to keep from getting wet. <laughs> but because we are part of the body of Christ, the Bible says, and we are part of the body of Christ, and we have been spiritually gifted by the Holy Spirit, And we all have received gifts. We talked about that last week. And the Bible says, because we have been edified by others. And we talked about that last week. That we should not walk as the rest of the Gentiles in an ungodly and unregenerate pagan lifestyle. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 4 and verse 5. And pull these scriptures up if they don't fly away. First Thessalonians says this in verse four and verse uh, chapter four and verse five. It says, "Not in passion." It says, "Not in passion of lust, like Gentiles who do not know God." Amen. Is that in your Bible? It Says, "Gentiles don't know God." Amen. So the Bible says that that these people actively reject the knowledge of God. What do you mean, reject? Well, 1 John 2 and 6 says this, it says, "He he who says he abides in him ought himself to also walk just as he walked. If you say that you are a believer, you should walk the same way that Christ walked. If you're walking contrary to the word, then you cannot actually qualify yourself as being a believer. Amen? So he goes on to say that the society we live in uh, no longer live, uh, which is the church, the culture of the church, we should no longer live as Gentiles. We shouldn't act like the world. In other words, we should not be out somewhere partying on Saturday night and then worshiping on Sunday morning, Amen. even though I know there's a lot of that going on this morning right now those who can try to get out of bed this morning. (laughs) Amen. Isn't it amazing that even in the midst of a pandemic, pandemic, that people can still find a way to party? Now, you know how hard you have to work to find a a group of people that's just as crazy as you? (laughs) Huh? Well, let's see if we can go out and flirt with death tonight. You with me? (laughs) <laughs> so the Bible says <laughs> that in verses 17 through 19 of chapter 4, the Bible talks about the ungodly lifestyles. Now, these are the contrasting lifestyles, and we'll get to the, the comparative lifestyles probably next week. But let's look at, at, at four of these things in those three verses. The first thing he says is unbelievers are intellectually unproductive, right? Intellectually unproductive. So the Bible says, as far as spiritual and moral issues are concerned, their rational processes are distorted and inadequate. In other words, they can't think a decent thought. Just got the present in my head again. If all you think about is what you can do for you and what you can do to somebody else rather than what you can do for somebody else, there's a problem with your thought process. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? It's not okay to have every thought. On evil. Isn't that what the book of Genesis tells us in Genesis chapter 11? That's what the Tower of Babel was about. said their thoughts were continually on evil. And if every time you see something, all you see is the negative aspect of it, the Bible says that you're intellectually unproductive. Amen? He says that inevitably, you're, uh, uh, you'll, be able, you'll not be able to produce godly understanding or moral living. In other words, you couldn't live right if your life depended on it. Okay? So he says, uh, uh, those people's lives are empty, they're vain and without meaning. Again, look at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, here's what it says. It says, but the natural man does not receive the things of God, for they are foolish to him, nor can he know because they are spiritually discerned. Now, foolish people, look at this, foolish people can come up with foolish starts. Let me say that one more time. Foolish people can come up with foolish starts, but righteous people, righteous people have to have the Holy Spirit to think right thoughts. Amen. That's why so many people are as the Bible says alienated from the life of God. They don't have any understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Can I tell you that that the the, the, the lifestyle of the Christian is both easy and hard at the same time? What are you trying to do confuse me? No, listen to me. It's easy if you believe. It's hard if you try to work it on your own. The second thing he says here is that unbelievers are spiritually separated from God. Now, if you're separated from God, you will be ignorant of God's truth. That means that you can't be be my friend and not know anything about me. Do we understand? A lot of people think they're a friend of God. And they talk about, you know, have you ever heard people who are blatantly sinful talk about what the Lord showed them? Y'all don't know any of them. Get with me after service, I'll tell you some of them. (laughs) So the Bible says that they are, listen, willingly in spiritual darkness. They went there on their own. Because they believed that they were hearing from God, but they had not had a personal experience with God and had not had a lifestyle that reflect that they had a personal relationship with God. In other words, they were never radically saved, but they're still telling you how you want to live based on what they heard from God. Y'all don't know any of those people. Second Timothy, chapter three and verse seven. Here's what Timothy says about those people. He says, always learning and never able to come into the knowledge of truth. This is folk that have a great library of books about God. Oh, they can tell you the the Genesis and the revelation of God, the Alpha and the Omega. They can tell you everything that pertains to God, but they know him from a book. They don't know personally. Y'all don't know? Okay. See, I find people all the time that, that uh, and, and you, you know, whenever I talk to folk, especially people who call themselves ministers and pastors, they always play stump the pastor. Because they done read the latest book and they're going to tell me what the book says. And my comeback is always, well, what does the Bible say? And most of the time, they can't tell you what the Bible says, but the book says, "Yeah, okay, you know, Hallelujah." And we we'll move on. <clears throat> so the Bible says they're blind, are hard like a rock, they have become callous. What does that mean? That means nothing seems to bother them, which brings us to the thing: they are morally insensitive. That means that, okay, let me tell you what that means. That means that there are people in this world who have an issue with a black man being shot in the back seven times, amen, because police, by their very nature, are violent, but they have no issue with a white man who can take an automatic and walk down the street in front of police after he shoots somebody. That's what you call being morally insensitive. So they continue in, in their sinful ways, they go on just like nothing's ha- happened, and they become more apathetic about what they think is morally right. In other words, they, they say, well, you know, that, that, that seems right to me. I mean, you know, the other guy was black, he must have done something. Okay, y'all don't want me to be political today, do you? You don't respond. I'm going to go deeper. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. Yep. So the Bible says that they become insensitive about moral and spiritual things and more uh, uh, sensitive towards sensuality and impurity. Now, that's why you can get, and here we go, a certain preacher that can have an, I don't know what kind of affair you call that, that he had, I don't know, a strange relationship, and yet people still can defend that kind of behavior. Amen. So the fourth thing the Bible says, Well, look for before I go to look at Romans chapter one, verse 32. The Bible says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice certain search such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but they approve of those who practice them. Now, this is the day we're living in now. People approve of things that they know is wrong. And I'm telling you for the church, that is wrong. The church cannot condone wrong, and it cannot condone immorality, and it certainly cannot condone violence against its people. Amen. And if we don't stand up, who's going to stand up? Let me do one more. I'm going to try to move on. When I hear my president say that the White House is the White House, and that's why. He's there and we are not. Oh, nobody else heard that? So we should name the, 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 the new residence the colored house. <laughs> for, the, for, for the multiplicity of ethnic groups, number four number four the Bible says unbelievers are behaviorally depraved wow what does that mean that means you behave like a fool most of the time Romans chapter 1 verse 28 says this and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting and again How many people are watching the news today and realize something's wrong? And my question is, and I'm gonna continue to ask that question, where's the church? How can you look at this and not see something is wrong? The answer to that is that they're behaviorally depraved. It says they often give intellectual assent to the truth, but it's without any kind of emotion you know how we do that we have a fact but we don't care what goes behind the fact okay here's a fact that here's a black man who's paralyzed from the waist down and he's chained to the head by his ankle Let me try that again because you ain't seeing this picture. He's chained to a bed by his ankle, but he's paralyzed from the waist. Where is he going? Unless he has a motorized bed and he can. That means that there's a group of people in this country who can say that that is intellectually correct. Well, you know, protocol says that if he has committed a crime, then he should be handcuffed because you don't want him to escape. Now, maybe I'm the one that's wrong, but that's the dumbest thing I've heard. Well, no, it's some dumb stuff I heard this year, so. That ain't the dumbest thing I heard all year. Amen, amen. Come on, y'all making me mess up now. Uh, Their heart is insensitive. Their heart become insensitive. That means that I only care about what affects me and my life, amen. I don't care that you don't have any health care. Doesn't matter at all. I'll give up mine just so you don't have any. Now, y'all know that most of the people that are fighting for doing away with Obamacare don't have any insurance. And one day they're going to wake up, probably in the hospital, and ask that question. Where, what happened to my insurance? I guess. So as they willingly continue submitting to sensuality, licentiousness, they increasingly lose moral restraint. In other words, listen to me. The more you practice sin, the more hardened your heart becomes. The more you practice sin, the more difficult it for you to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. Because you're now measuring it by your own life experiences. So therefore, if you think it's okay for you, it ought to be right for everybody. Amen? Amen. So there are two things I want you to know. One, the Bible says that impurity is inseparable from greediness. Wait a minute, what did he just say? I said impurity is inseparable from greediness. You're saying that if I'm an immoral person, then I am a greedy person. And he says this, that greediness is a form of idolatry. Okay, y'all didn't see that in the Bible. Well, let me show it to you. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5. Here's what it says. It says, uh, for you know this, that no fornicator, unclean person, no covetous man, no covetous man, no covetous man, in case you didn't know that's a greedy man, who is an idolater, a greedy man what, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Not enough proof? Colossians chapter three, verse five. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Are you convinced? So the Bible says that idolatry is a desire to possess more and more than others have, regardless of what you need. Let me try that on the side. Idolatry or covetousness is a desire to, to possess more than somebody else has, even though you don't need it. Now I could be political one more time, but I'm gonna move on, amen. So the Bible says the fact that some people may not reach the extremes here, in other words, people are still in church and still sinning, he said the only reason that's happening is because of the grace of God, which is called common grace, come on, and and the only reason God gives common grace is so it gives you a chance to mature. So he's restraining those undesirable and unbelieving folks. So it gives you an opportunity to grow up. Amen. Now, you must understand why you are here, why you have a reason for being on this earth. And it's simple, it's simple. You must be able to find that purpose for which you were created. Now watch this. You can go to the airport and you can buy a pack of gum or a candy bar, you don't have to get on a plane. Now in order to find purpose, you have to actually take the flight and move from one destination to another. If you don't change destination, in other words, if you're stuck in this lifestyle and you're not willing to take a flight to righteousness, goodness, then you will always be going to the airport, spending your money, buying candy bars, you know, three times the price, and never go anywhere. This is the way people are in church today. I would not get up out of my bed and spend my time dressing up, coming out, just so I can go back home the same way I came. But if your understanding is darkened, you'll sit at the airport watching other people leave and wishing you were on the plane. They don't have a clear life purpose in their minds. When people's understanding is darkened, they don't know what they are here for. What was I called to do? Now these people, the Bible says, are. Excluded from the life of God which means they have no divine perspective. How am I doing on time? Anybody know? I'm about finished, but I just want to make sure I want to make another point When you are excluded From the divine perspective it means that you're not hearing from heaven for your life How are you gonna make it? If you can't hear from God for you. Now, have you ever noticed something? Now, this is really good, and I'm telling you, as folks say, this is some of my best work now, listen to me. How is it that people who are living beneath their privilege can always tell you what the Lord has in store for you? It's because they have no divine perspective. Listen, if I'm going to hear from God, the first thing I want to hear from God about is me. But if your heart is hard and you've become callous to every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more, then your conscience is dead. And there's a lot of people whose conscience is spiritually dead. Nothing seems to bother them. That's why we have this phrase in church that we use when our conscience is dead, amen? When your conscience is dead, when your conscience is dead, you know what you say. Well, they ain't got nothing to do with me. When your conscience is dead. Well, they ain't said to me. They didn't say it about me. Amen. It's not my problem. Your conscience is dead. Now, why, Pastor, why why are you talking to me like that? I'm telling you because the one thing I know about God, if you call your a saint. If you call yourself a believer, then I'm going to use the the, the 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 hood translation. What comes around or what goes around comes around. Huh? If you say, ain't got nothing to do with me, watch. If it don't hit your house, and I mean quickly, then grits ain't groceries. Man, they've committed sin for so long that their conscience feels nothing. Things that might have shocked them once don't shock them anymore, but that's not how you came to know Christ. That's what verse 20 said. That's not how you came to know Christ. Now, I'm gonna finish this next week, but well, let me tell you a couple of things about that. He says that, that you came to know Christ in a relationship uh, based on three things. He says, it was you learned, you heard, and you were taught. You learned, you heard, and you were taught. The Bible says to learn Christ is to learn about Christ. In other words, when I say I've learned Christ, I've walked with him, that's what the the disciples did. They walked with Christ and they walked with him so that they could learn, not, listen, not to learn scriptures, but to know who the man was, to know his character, to understand who he was. That's why the Bible says that they learned of him. And then the Bible says that the next thing is you have to enter into a relationship with Christ. So believers have heard and have been taught by him. Because we went, we entered into a relationship, that's why in John chapter 15 it says, abide in me and my word abide in you, amen. So whenever we enter into those kinds of relationship, it is a close personal relationship. It's like when you marry somebody, you learn some stuff about them you didn't know. <laughs> I'm going right on. But after a while, you learn how to work around the things that you can't handle. Oh, okay, all right. So Paul, <laughs> Paul says then the truth in Jesus is that it's not something that's abstract, but it is personal. In other words, it's not that I know about something, but I know something up close and personal. What I read in the newspaper is about somebody. But what I experience in my day-to-day interaction is about knowing them. And you see, if you really know people, you know what they're capable of, don't you? So if you see somebody was arrested with sudden such, 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 the first thing you say is, that's out of his character, because I know him or her. But if you don't know them, you only know stuff about them, then what you will find out is you're making decisions based on what you heard from somebody who is not saved. Truth is personal. And Jesus, John chapter 14, verse six says, he is the truth. And everyone, the Bible says, and I'm gonna to try to close with this, everyone who is of the truth, listens to Jesus. Watch this, John chapter 18, verse 37. Here's what it says. Pilate therefore said to him, are you the king? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am the king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world. Jesus said, look, I know my purpose. I know why I'm here. Amen. He says that I should bear witness to the truth. In other words, my reason for being here is that I'm going to tell you what what my purpose for being here really is. And then he said, listen, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Everyone who is of the truth. In other words, Christ said, everybody who's a part of me, they know the truth. I'm the truth. I'm the way. They know me. You know, I've I've, I've had the privilege of living long enough that I can go places, and I say that same thing. They know me up in here, because I've been around long enough. They know who I am. And if they were to read the headlines about me, they would say, "Mm -mm, no, I don't believe that, because I know him, and he wouldn't do that. Are y'all still with me? So the truth is Jesus. The truth about salvation leads to the fullness of truth about God, man, creation, history, life, purpose, relationships, heaven, hell, judgment. All of that's in Christ. When we learn Christ, we learn all of these things. And the Bible says that everything that's important is in Christ. Amen. Jesus summed this up, and this is is where we're going to sum it up. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20, he says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. All right, let's, let's do that first part first. He said that the, the Son of Man, is, Jesus has come. If he's come into your life, if Jesus has come into your life, the Bible says, he has given you an understanding. Come on, you can't be stupid and be saved. Amen, I don't know I'm not supposed to use that word. He says that we may know him who is true. We may know him. So he's given us an understanding. So here's what he said. He said, I've come so that you can know me. And then the Bible says when he left us, he sent his Holy Spirit so that we would know him. So it's not like we we'll would know him occasionally or sometime but we'll know him in every situation. What would Jesus do? Well, I got got the manuscript. I can look it up. Amen? And then the Bible goes on to say, uh, know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. So I'm in Christ. I'm a believer. The Bible goes on to say, in his son Jesus Christ. This is, is the true God and eternal life. Now watch this. If I know him, listen, if I know him in a personal way, then I have eternal life. Isn't that what salvation really is? It's my personal relationship with Christ. I have that personal relationship with Christ because I know him, because I am in him, because I am him and he is me, and therefore I know that it's not a distant relationship, it's not something that's afar off, but it's something that's close and personal. And whenever I have a need, all I have to do is call him. The same Jesus who said that he would always be there, that he would never leave me nor forsake me that he would make sure that every need in my life was met. He would also make sure that every prayer that I pray would be heard by the Father, and he said that all I have to do is keep the faith. So my question today, do you know him? And if you know him, is he personal to you? I don't want an intellectual relationship with Christ. I don't want to know stuff about Christ. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And then I want to be conformable to who he is. So would you stand on your feet and join me? Lift up the name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. What a mighty God we serve. Can you do me one one of your songs? Yeah. Hallelujah. Now, while he's getting ready, you always got to get ready. While he's getting ready, (laughs) I want to do two things. One, I want you to just take a moment. Examine your particular relationship. There's something lacking in that relationship. In other words, if that relationship is not Christ in me, the hope of glory, Jesus in me, Jesus in you, so easy to love. If that's not the relationship I have, then I want you to stop and examine where you are spiritually. Now, Pastor, what am I supposed to do when I figure out that I'm not as close as I need to be? The Bible makes it clear that the only thing that's necessary for me to be restored to a right relationship is for me to repent, ask the Lord to forgive me. And then when I make my turn, continue to walk differently than I did before I asked him. So I'm going to give you just about 10 seconds to make this decision. Give me more time. No, if it takes you more time than that, and you just need to come on and and get saved. Now, if you said, Lord, I need your help, then I'm going to agree with you in prayer right now, right where you're standing. Father, I thank you right now for every soul that's coming to you in repentance, heartfelt repentance, believing that you are the answer for every situation in their life, that you are the healer, the deliverer, that you are the fulfiller of every desire, we thank you right now, God. God, I set myself in agreement with their requests. And I believe that you said that we're two or more gathered in your name. And we made a request of you that you would ask the Father to bring it to pass. So God, I know that you always fulfill your word. So I call it done in the name of Jesus. So God, I call those people back to salvation back to a place of right standing with you. And God, I call them to a walk that's worthy of their calling. And I thank you for it in Jesus name, amen, amen.